here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. On our last meeting, the president said, I am going to shut the government down. They are now feeling the heat. It is not helping the president. It is not helping the Republicans to be the owners of this shutdown. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Chucky Schumer in his altered state of reality. So we have a new Congress that is in effect today. Man, it's hot, right? I mean, whew. Congratulations for having survived the squeeze of the partial government shutdown as a near two weeks. I mean, I I don't know about you, but it's even hard to get out of of bed in the morning without about a quarter of the federal government that's operational. Ah, man. Teachable moments. There are so many wonderful, teachable moments right now and that are coming out of all this. But first, I've got a question for you. Got a question for you. If you had a choice between an extra $3,800 this year, $3,800 in your pocket this year, or an end to the partial government shutdown, what would it be? Would you personally pay $3,800 to reopen the government as it was. Status quo government. And if you would, by the way, I'd love to hear from you. Would love to hear from you. I'll uh, fill you in on what exactly goes on there momentarily. Hey there, it is uh, your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd. I uh, host a morning show, The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami. I, in my uh, spare time, will do janitorial duties for the Fox News channel, so they occasionally put me on camera. You might see me as a guest analyst there from time to time. And it is always an honor and a pleasure to uh, be right here with you, guest hosting for the great one, Mark Levin. Now, uh, truth be told, here in South Florida, this is the time of year where if you're not here, you wish you were. I won't dwell too much on the fact that it was 78 and sunny today, but just be prepared. When you do come down this time of year, population doubles. The uh, turn signals are optional. And the most miserable place at any given time is the nearest Costco parking lot. And uh, I'm, I'm really not kidding about any of that. That's all actually true. Uh, but here, here's the, the bigger point, uh, and, and it is going to segue into this partial government shutdown. Let's say that you do come down to South Florida right now. Guess what is open? Everglades National Park. In fact, pretty much all of our parks here in in South Florida are open. Huh. But how? We had a partial government shutdown. Well, because, guess what? People volunteered to pick up the trash so you could go enjoy the park. Yeah, that's right. The world can go on without the federal government doing things for us. I mean, it's almost like they worked for us and not the other way around. I mean, it's kind of a crazy concept. Hmm. So here's the thing. That $3,800 question I put in front of you a moment ago, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. So predictably, we are at the point here as we have our new Congress. And yes, uh, Chuck Schumer, who you heard from there, is uh, the Senate minority leader still. But we we have what is old and, and frankly now older. That's new again. That is Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. So, so that happened today. We, we had a cameo by the president at, at something that resembled a press conference. And uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, the partial government shutdown is, is nearing two weeks, and your life probably hasn't changed. Probably hasn't changed. 
Most people haven't seen anything. And every single day, you can see it. I mean, Chuck Schumer's trying to turn up the heat with his rhetoric, right? I mean, it's getting hot. Is it? Is it? I mean, now, the mainstream news media certainly is trying to make it that way. The, the predictable woe is the federal employee stories are ramping up. I mean, you, you're seeing those if you're looking for them or reading about it. I mean, I can't even get through some of the local news stories without reading about and partial government shutdown. I actually had something. There was a uh, like like a, a drug bust uh, at a uh, area in South Florida today, and they said, uh, but uh, you know, they they reached out to ICE, but the media division was closed due to the government shutdown. It's like that was a necessary point in all of this. Here's the the bigger issue. Despite the efforts of the mainstream news media of the leftist, to try to make you feel this thing, the odds are you aren't, and you haven't. And that's kind of a big deal. And every single day that goes by, I get more excited. I get more excited because it becomes an even better teachable moment. We've got approximately a a quarter, a quarter, that's a heck of a lot, of our federal government that isn't operating right now, right? And you don't feel it. Sun rises, you get up, nothing changes. Now, everything I'm getting ready to tell you, to be clear, I I do not personally have any animus, none whatsoever, towards the rank-and-file government employee. I don't blame them for working in the jobs they work in and bloated government agencies. I blame our crappy politicians for creating the wasteful and bloated government with the 430 government agencies. The 430 government agencies, we talked about this before. And I'm actually serious about this. I, I believe, I believe though, since we have nearly a government agency for every single member of the House of Representatives, we should get every last one of them. And, and we can have all the 100 senators join in, too. If any of the 535 members of Congress, technically it would be 534 as we wait for North Carolina to figure out what it's doing in their ninth, we can get every one of them a pen and a pencil. Uh, and, and they can take down as many different government agencies as they want to. And if they name any one of the government agencies, if just one member of Congress that pays for and funds a federal agency names that agency, it gets to stay. But if now one of the 534 current members of Congress can name that federal agency, it goes away. That sounds like a fair deal, doesn't it? Should we really be funding something that not one member of Congress could even name? Think about how much we would save if we played that game for a moment, right? So, back in the real world for a moment. Here's the thing about this partial government shutdown and these furloughed government workers. The biggest issue gets back to something you'll hear me talk about quite a bit, and that is the premise. Here's the premise. These people work for us, not the other way around. When was the last time that you had someone who was laid off in just a regular private sector company that was held up as the woe-is-me person to the federal government employee who is earning their paycheck and their cushy benefits at the literal expense of that person who was just laid off. Do you ever, have you ever, seen that type of an approach by the mainstream news media? Wouldn't that actually be appropriate since they work for us 
since we pay for them to do whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing for us? So if they're our employees, why is it that it's our issue if they're furloughed? And again, I... I do not mean to stick it to the rank-and-file government employee. I don't blame them. But it's the approach by the mainstream news media. It's exactly backwards. The premise is exactly the opposite of what it should be. It's false. See, in the real world, every single day in this country, every day, companies go bankrupt. Every single day, people get laid off and lose their jobs. Even in great economies, it happens, right? But you never hear about that. You never have a federal government employee, uh, you know, that is... Being put before a, a news uh, camera with a uh, news reporter asking them, man, do you feel guilty about earning all the money you're earning while this person over here just lost their job and they were paying you? Not once in your life. Those are the real conversations we should be having. So let me get back to that $3,800 I put in front of you. As of December, the average income in the United States was a shade under $49,000. Just under $49,000, all right? The average person working in the private sector full-time. You keep that number in mind for a second as you hear this figure. The average federal total compensation now averages more than $128,000 per federal employee per year. Yeah, that's right. The average Joe making under fifty k per year is paying... For $128,000 worth of compensation and benefits for the average federal employee who's supposed to be working for them. But wait, there's more. The average federal employee also works an average of 12% fewer hours, according to the latest research from the Foundation for Economic Education. So they earn an excess of double what you earn. They work 12% less. And we're supposed to feel guilty when they're furloughed. Hmm. Something seemed wrong about that. Now, again, the 3,800. So here is, did a little uh, calculating for you. Just the employee expense. Do you know how much you pay each and every year for federal employees to do whatever it is that they are supposed to be doing on your behalf? $15,200. The average household cost for federal employees is $15,200 per year. You feel like you get $15,200 worth of service out of your employees? (laughs) But here's the bigger uh, point about the $3,800. So we have a quarter, approximately, of the federal employees, the federal government, that is furloughed right now. Let's say it just never came back. Let's say this partial government shutdown never ended. You would save $3,800 this year and every year going forward. And that's where I get back to you with the real question here. This is a hard cost to all of us. It's extracted from our paychecks before we ever see it. We have to account for all of this cost. So, no, you don't have the federal government literally proposing, hey, uh, if we keep this federal government shut down, we will give you a uh, tax credit of $3,800. No, it's not literally working that way. But this is hard cost in our tax dollars to us. So would you rather have the $3,800 this year and every year going forward, or would you rather not have that $3,800 and end this partial government shutdown? 
That's the real story. That's the real information. It's the truth. It's not what the mainstream news media tells you. We got a lot more truth, a lot more facts for you. Coming up next, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. A grandmother of nine, a sophisticated strategist, a legendary legislator, a voice for the voiceless, a defender of the disenfranchised, a powerful, profound, prophetic, principled public servant, and that's why we stand squarely behind her today. Let me be clear, House Democrats are down with NDP. Woo! (laughs) Hey, a lot going on there. Representative uh, Jeff Akeem, as he was nominating Nancy Pelosi to uh, to be Speaker of the House, a couple things come to mind. Uh, first and foremost, we'll walk right past uh, what one of her uh, daughters had to say uh, about Nancy Pelosi and like the beheading that can take place of her without you even knowing it uh, in, in terms of her being such a wonderful mother. But aside from that, anybody else um, thinks a little bit creepy that... You have Jeff Hakeem that is making a naughty by nature reference with with Nancy or Hakeem Jeffrey. Sorry about that. Uh, making the the reference uh, a naughty by nature reference and about Nancy Pelosi. Which, by the way, if you get that reference, please for your own sake, wash your brain of that imagery as quickly as possible. But uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, you do once again have Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House. Uh, wow, isn't that wonderful? And Coming off of uh, what I was talking about in uh, the the opening segment there, the premise of this entire partial government shutdown and everything that is and isn't happening uh, being presented to you in the exact opposite role of what's real. That being that uh, we don't wait for the federal government to tell us what to do or what we're able to do. It's actually the exact opposite. Uh, Talking about teachable moments, it's not just that we could save $3,800 per household This year and every year, if this partial government shutdown never ended just on the employee expense of those non-essential federal government employees. But the bigger point here is, why are we having this conversation? Well, uh, we're having this conversation largely over border wall funding, right? As the president pointed out earlier this week, we spend about as much in Afghanistan in a month as he's requesting to continue the construction of the border wall. Now, the federal government. When we talk about essential and non-essential spending, that's been bastardized. That's been bastardized. If you actually go to the Constitution, it's very straightforward in terms of what the federal government actually must do. There really is only one non-negotiable and technically two points that are associated with it. The federal government only is tasked at its core to protect us to protect us and to provide minimum infrastructure associated with that. That's it. That's the only technically mandated function of your federal government. So one of the things I ended up doing was I was taking a look at uh, the most recent budget from last year and uh, took a look at how much spending, and and I was generous. I I was generous. Anything that potentially could have been counted as defense-related spending and infrastructure-related spending, I went ahead and, and put into the bucket. Now, how much that was? It was 18% of the federal government's spending. 
In other words, we're, we're talking about the partial government shutdown and about a quarter of the government, the, the non-essential federal government employees. But truth be told, if you take a look at the Constitution, 82%, 82% of the federal spending is non-essential. Now, I'm not saying that there are things that uh, we should just wash our hands of. And obviously, anybody who uh, you know is entitled to Social Security should get it. Anybody who is entitled to Medicare should get it. I'm not suggesting otherwise. These are deals that we have made, people that uh, have paid, and, and they are obligations that need to be paid out. That's all part of being more responsible with government to begin with. But that's what's real here, and that's why with a quarter of the federal government being furloughed, a quarter of the federal government involved in this partial shutdown, the world goes on. The overwhelming majority of us never see, touch, or feel it. That's why it's a teachable moment, and it's important that we put the focus back on what's real. Over 80% of the world's population is not free, not truly free. We are. We're born free with the government simply reigning in based upon us potentially infringing on others. We don't sit around like most of the rest of the world and have our government dictate to us the liberties that we're going to have. This is the opportunity. So share the information with others. We'll continue talking about it next. Spray Mud in for the great one, Mark Levin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Right versus left is right versus wrong. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Democrats refuse to acknowledge the facts. What the president did today was monumental. He brought them to the White House to the Situation Room to have a conversation with Secretary Nielsen so she could brief them on all the crisis that's going on in the border. These numbers are devastating, they are sad, they are needless, and they are senseless. And Democrats wanted nothing to do with it. It's fascinating how the grandstanding, uh, when you're talking about something like, oh, I don't know, national security, it, it still seems to be appropriate to leaders like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, especially when you have someone like Chuck Schumer who himself voted in 2006 along with other senators like, oh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, for border wall funding. See, if only the same Democrats who voted for it back then 
were willing to support it today still, well, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And as I was pointing out just a bit ago, only 18% of the federal government funding from the past year, and that's a generous figure, actually went to the only mandated function of our federal government, which is defense, protection of us, and minimal infrastructure. Only 18%. So the priority in the case of you know those like uh, you know Schumer and Pelosi is the 82%. All the stuff that the Constitution didn't mandate. All the elective things. But you also see the hypocrisy when you have someone like Kirsten Nielsen. Here you have someone who is a woman, who is in a leadership position, talking about security as they are incoming into the new Congress, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and they decide to grandstand and not even pay attention to the presentation. This on a day when you have Border Patrol agents who endorsed President Trump's border wall, who have asked for the border wall, they were having projectiles thrown at them. So while they're on the border, tasked with doing a job, putting their lives on the line to do it, the people that are responsible for funding and providing them with the resources necessary to do their job and help keep them safe, let alone us safe, they decide it's not worth hearing. They decide it's more important to politically grandstand. You think about that for a moment. How derelict of duty is that? When, again, it's the only mandated task. One of the more annoying things on days like this, when you have the new uh, Congress that's sworn in, all the hypocrisy that takes place. How many people swear to uphold the Constitution and then immediately don't do it? If they only did what they vowed to do, again, we're not having this conversation. And that's all part of what's so annoying in this entire process. Two sides to stories and and one side to facts. And I think at a minimal, when we're talking about the border wall, I'm going to get into some additional information about just how incredibly effective they are in a little bit. I don't think it's too much to ask to provide the resources to the people that we task with doing the job. When is it that that was an unreasonable request? But it is when it doesn't fit your particular politics of the day. Politics above people, above security, above the Constitution, that's really the choice in what we've got going on and why we're engaged in this partial government shutdown. But as I say again, the partial government shutdown, now it's a teachable moment. It's a teachable moment because with a quarter of your federal government shut down, well, what do we have? The sun rising, pretty much everything going along just as usual, and most Americans not seeing, touching, or feeling anything resembling hardship, showing once again just how bloated and unnecessary so much of our federal government actually is. Let's go to April in Myrtle Beach. April, go. Hi. Hey, April. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm a retired federal employee, and I worked for the Department of Defense for 32 years. And I was also active duty in the Navy. And I retired in 2012 because I was sick of the politics. But I would like to say that I went through several of these government shutdowns. 
and it affected me and not at all. It was like having a paid vacation. I stayed home with my kids for a couple of weeks. Um, and then when I got, uh, you know, we went back to work, we got paid. But there again, the federal government got uh, a boon there, too, because we got paid more because we got back pay. And then the government was able to keep more taxes from us. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah. Isn't that fancy? Uh, it, it, appreciate it. And thank you for your service, April. You know, it's uh, interesting what you mentioned there, that it was like a paid vacation. I was having a conversation with uh, someone today, I will not out them, who happens to be a federal employee who uh, doesn't agree with what's going on here, you know, gets it politically, uh, but was traveling today. And that's essentially what he's saying. He, he His guidance was, well, you know, uh, you're, uh, once this is all over, you can expect your back pain and everything else. So he's traveling, and he called it essentially a, a paid vacation. And he didn't think it was right, but, hey, it's what's going on. Uh, it, you know, so, again, that's part of why I say in all this, I hold no animus towards rank-and-file federal government employees. If, if they hold those jobs and they're furloughed, so be it. You know, you know, if that's a job that you are passionate about doing, you want to do where, that's great. I blame our crappy politicians for creating the bloated government. They're the ones to blame to the extent that there is blame to go around. Uh, you know, so, again, teachable moments. These are all teachable moments. Let's go to Matt in Missouri. Matt, go. Hey, brother. How you doing? Hey, all good. Well, uh, I'm a long-time listener, uh, first time I've gotten on. Um, to all this uh, fear-mongering about people not getting what they need, uh, I'm a veteran. And actually, yesterday, I actually had an appointment at a CBOC in uh, Osage Beach, Missouri. And how'd that go? Uh, it, it went all right. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, seeing a doctor and everything, but... I mean, it, it wasn't shut down. Like, I still had access to what I needed. As and, an aside, uh, uh, with, with the VA, have you noticed uh, the, the situation getting any better? Uh, is it where it needs to be at this point for you? Actually, brother, uh, to be honest, uh, I have never had a problem with the VA uh, via Kansas City or Leavenworth or Columbia. All right. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you very much for your service. So the, the VA goes on. And I actually see uh, David, uh, who has uh, a case I'm happy to address. Uh, David from Virginia, go. Yeah, hi, Brian. I, I agree with your, your comparison, but I just had a quick question. The 49000 is that total compensation, or is that, is that just salary? Okay, so y- y- your argument here is going to be perfect. and It's going to segue into something else I was going to address. Now, in, in terms of our uh, earnings, the 48000 as of December, the average full-time income, that is just gross salary. That is gross taxable income. Okay, so add benefits onto that? Well, and, and this is where I, I know where you're going. So what you're saying is I'm offering up $128,000 as total compensation for federal government employees. And so the argument is, well, you're not talking about uh, apples and and apples, right? Because we're talking about our gross salary versus total compensation for federal government government employees. Is that where you're going? It just seems... 
Uh oh, I think we just lost you, David. All right. So here he is. Uh, I'm I'm happy to address it. In fact, I'm excited to address it. The difference between the two. No, the forty nine thousand does not include our benefits, but the hundred twenty eight thousand dollars is that a hard cost to the American taxpayer? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Right. Where does that come from? Well, that comes out of our paycheck. So if we're making forty nine thousand, frankly, it doesn't matter uh, how much more we're making in benefits. The average salary, the average base salary as of twenty sixteen, anyway, the most recent information I could find uh, for federal government employees, about $89,000, which gives you an idea of how cush the benefits are for the average federal government employee, that the gross salary is about eighty nine grand, but the total benefit is 128000 The point remains. The point remains. The 128000 is still the hard cost for that federal employee to that person that's making a gross $49,000. That's why it is an apples-to-apples comparison when we're talking about non-essential federal government and workers. You have people that make forty-nine grand per year that have to shell out $128,000 for these people that are supposed to be working for them. And then you have the mainstream news media that does what? Well, they turn around and they try to make you, the person making forty-nine grand gross, Feel guilty about the person who's furloughed that, as one of the previous callers mentioned, will likely get all of the back pay. There's even talk about them getting interest on back pay. I'm not kidding. That And we're supposed to feel guilty about them, you know, when we have to pay the 128000 And I say again, where's the equity? When was the last time a single federal government employee was interviewed by any one of the mainstream news media outlets – Asked if they felt guilty that no Sally in Kentucky was laid off from her job today. Sally, who was making $49,000, laid off today. She has to figure it out on her own. Doesn't have, you know, the, the cushy, uh, you know, pension and everything else from, from the government plan. But, uh, you know, the person made 128000 that she was paying, you know, uh, $3,800 personally for. You know, these aren't the conversations that we have. That's why I say there are two sides to stories and, and one side to facts. And we're always welcome. One of the things that uh, I try to establish, not just the premise, but but facts that are provocative so we can have these types of conversations. I'm always interested in, in even arguments, intellectual arguments in the arena of ideas. But the problem is we have an education system and a mainstream news media that operates most of the time on the false premise. I mean, how many kids, you might be able to answer this question for yourself. How many kids do you know in, in your own life? They might even be in your own kids in, in some cases that, uh, that really understand that the government is there to serve us. I, I would be shocked if a solid majority of kids in school today really could, uh, you know, specifically cite that the government is there to serve us. Rather than we are there waiting to get our next marching orders from, from the government. That's how backwards things have become. That's the premise that the mainstream news media operates from. That's why they're trying to find people to make you care about this partial government shutdown when your life hasn't changed. And I've got some additional information coming up, and I'll, I'll get into it a bit more tomorrow night as well, uh, about 
how this isn't working. It's why I'm getting more excited by the day as this partial government shutdown continues, because these are all important teachable moments, real opportunities in American history to educate generations of Americans that hadn't been pre- uh, previously. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. made it clear that his number one responsibility is to keep this country safe. And Secretary Nielsen wanted to go over some very alarming numbers, things that are actually happening at the border. And what's happened last year? Last year alone, there were more than 3,700 known or suspected terrorists that were stopped from entering this country. Yeah, but why should we worry and focus about things like that? I mean, why again should we listen to the Border Patrol when they say, yeah, we, we need the wall? But it's not just the, the Border patrol either you see uh and this was actually something i shared with you uh a few weeks ago you know how many countries actually have border walls 77 77 and how many of those are fairly recent 62 62 of the 77 countries with border walls have created them since 1990 now what does that tell you well it it tells you that there is a, a growing need and interest around the wall, uh, around the world with walls. Why? Well, because they're effective. Because they are effective, which is why the Border Patrol wants them. And again, when you heard uh, Representative uh, Steve Scalise there talking about Kirsten Nielsen and, and her briefing that was an, intended for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, they. Uh, they decided not to to partake to, to grandstand at a time when the border patrol was uh, literally in in uh, certain parts coming under projectile uh, attack from the other side of the border. Uh, it, it's very easy for them to do in Washington D.C. as they are responsible for providing the resources and the tools that are necessary for the people at the border to carry out their job. I uh, was having a conversation one of my uh, local shows this morning with a former high-ranking FBI official who means well, but very much your establishment status quo, you know, a federal guy. And he was making the case that we are less safe as a country because of the partial government shutdown. He was talking about how it's more difficult uh, for, you know, the FBI and the DOJ to get certain things taken care of internally because some of the internal employees are are part of those that are furloughed so it can slow things down. And if you slow things down and I'm sitting there listening to this and I, I don't doubt, I mean, there, there's no question he knows uh, exponentially more than, than I do about the inner workings of the FBI. But I'm sitting there thinking, wow. Really? I mean, that's the conversation we're having. Because I I was sitting there thinking, here we are, not just with the border wall conversation and situation that uh, Chuck Schumer and others voted for, but here we are with an FBI that has done what to keep us safe in, in some of the big moments. We have a former FBI director who's the current special prosecutor that is supposed to be investigating Trump-Russia collusion that's produced none of nothing of the sort thus far, that ended up doing what? Well, he uh, authorized the ability for Uranium One, the transfer of uranium from Canada and the United States to Russia. 
Did that make us less safe? Here we are with an FBI that was headed uh, by his successor, who ended up engaging a, a fraudulent investigation of Hillary Clinton and, and her camp, while then signing off on four FISA warrant requests under a fraudulent pretense brought about by a false dossier by a discredited FBI source. Here we are in South Florida, in my case, after Stoneman Douglas with the FBI botching multiple opportunities to stop it in advance. Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Ditto. And we're talking about little inner working procedures. I think we got bigger problems. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. If he gives in now, that's the end of 2019 in terms of him being an effective president. That's probably the end of his presidency. Know a lot of people that uh, feel that way. That is none other than Lindsey Graham uh, making his thoughts known that uh, if the president caves, he is done. And uh, the thing is, there is no indication that President Trump is ready to cave. And we're not really seeing any indication that there is political pressure on him to do so. I'm waiting to get a little more information in because... Information, especially polling data and, and some of the related stuff to this partial shutdown is a little bit slow because obviously we are still in uh, holiday mode in, in uh, a lot of the national polling uh, outlets. Uh, but we are starting to get some in and the uh, survey is looking pretty favorable for the president if you read between the lines on this one. And I, I say again, I believe it's a teachable moment because here we are with a quarter approximately of the federal government that is not operational. And you probably haven't noticed any difference in your life a quarter of the federal government i mean that's huge huge and as i pointed out in the first hour just in the cost of federal employees per household if this partial government shutdown never ended you would save thirty eight hundred dollars this year thirty eight hundred dollars in taxes thirty eight hundred per household in the united states just in the employee cost, not the operational expense of the actual government agencies. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mudd, South Florida friend. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, 
WYOD in Miami, and it is always an honor and a pleasure to uh, guest host for the great one, Mark Levin. Enjoy being with you. And uh, three weeks ago, uh, today actually, I ended up sharing with you, if you were uh, with us at that point, you would have heard a little bit about what happens, what really happens during government shutdowns. In case you are not listening on that particular evening, I'm going to give you a little bit of a Reader's Digest version of what goes on and then what is actually going on. I mean, like, what really has happened? How many agencies really aren't operational in this partial government shutdown? So the the first thing is, uh, as you've come to know, the term government shutdown is a bunch of crap, right? The government never actually does shut down. Essential services always run. But essential services has taken on a whole new meaning as well because – What's truly essential? Well, when I ended up being generous and taking a look at all of the federal spending over the past year and taking a look at everything that is constitutionally, constitutionally essential, only about 18 percent of the federal government is actually essential, at least according to what the founders laid in place. In other words, 82 percent of everything that happens is elective, is elective, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't engage in a lot of that 82%. We've made commitments to people. Part of that 82%, for example, Social Security and Medicare. Those promises should be kept. But just to illustrate the point, because when we're talking about non-essential government and we're talking about a quarter of the government that's not operational, there is so much more that could be shut down right now before we would truly touch anything rising to the level of essential by the true founding of this country. Now, the government shutdown situation, the reason why you have had a greater proliferation of these over the past 40 or so years, I mean, technically 42 years, is because there was a budget process that was changed in 1976. In 1976, you had rules that were changed that made it more difficult uh, to be able to get budget funding through. And as a result, it created more leverage, more opportunity to try to get the things that people wanted. For a lot of the history, up to some of the recent years, it has been the pet port projects of particular representatives. I'm not going to vote for this whole funding bill unless you give me the bridge to nowhere, for example. Those types of things. Now, it's taken on a a bit more of a, a political tone. Things like the border wall that just 12 years ago were so not controversial that you had senators like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Chuck Schumer himself, among many other Democrats, actually voted for border wall funding. It's funny how things change when politics enter the equation and you feel it's the uh, politically right thing to do to not secure the southern border. Whole other issue. Now, getting back to what happens during and why we have more partial government shutdowns. We have had 21 now. We're in our 21st since 1976, so they happen about every two years. Uh, Now, as we are going into two weeks, this is one of the longer ones we had. You might remember that about a year ago, we actually had one that uh, lasted um, like almost literally just overnight. Uh, So they're not uh, anomalous at all. It's often just the way they're played in the media. Now, something else that a lot of people have been confused by. The idea of what takes place. Some people think, well, you know, we go into this pay-go mode where it's just, you know, whatever revenue comes into the federal government, that's what's spent, not a dollar more. That's not it at all. Part of the reason why you aren't seeing, touching, or feeling, most likely, what's going on here with this uh, partial federal government shutdown with a quarter of the federal government that is, uh, that's not operational, is that you had so many of the essentials that were funded. 
like the military, for example. It's been funded. You hear all these spending and funding bills that take place all throughout the year. Well, the majority of the federal government has been funded. We're just talking about what hadn't been dealt with up to this point. And and that's why this one is different, which is another point. Every partial federal government shutdown is different based upon what has already been funded. And from there, it gets into what's a priority. For example, the national parks. You might notice that, uh, and I referenced being here in South Florida, if you come to South Florida, Everglades are open. Everglades are open, and most of the national parks uh, in in the country are accessible to some degree. Uh, But that was not the case in government shutdowns that took place during the Obama administration. In fact, there actually were security personnel put outside entrances to national parks, including the Everglades, to keep people from entering. And I ended up calculating out the cost of the security to keep people out of the parks. And it actually turned out it was more expensive during those partial government shutdowns to keep people out of the parks than it would have been to just employ the park rangers to keep them open. I'm not kidding. That's That actually happened. But the reason that happened was it was a priority of the Obama administration to make you feel it. See, that was one of the ways that you could get the public outcries. Well, you, you can't go to the Everglades, in, in our case, in South Florida. Oh, my gosh. And then you get all the media screaming and all the tourists and, and the talk about the economics and everything else. Well, in the case of the Trump administration, it has not been a priority to keep you out of all national parks. Therefore, in the case of the Everglades, we actually have volunteer groups that are going out there and cleaning up the Everglades. Which, by the way, if we're all being good stewards of the environment, can we just clean up after ourselves? I mean, is that really asking too much? I mean, come on now. But I digress. So that's why every one of these things is a little bit different. And based upon the priorities of the administration, it's going to look different. Now, next up, the federal government agencies. And, and this is the biggie here. How many federal government agencies can you name? I mean, seriously. Think about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will give you a day. You can't cheat. Give you a day. How many federal government agencies can you name? I mean, 100, 200, 300. <laughs> I mean, right? But we have 430 of them. 430. And that is all part of this whole big ball of wax. There is so much redundancy in our federal government. There's so many agencies that exist that probably can't even be named by a single member of Congress, yet they go ahead and, and pass the funding for it anyway. That when you get really get down to priorities, well, it's not hard if you are trying to do the right thing by the American people to not have this be a burden on most folks. So getting back to what's really going on right now in this specific partial government shutdown. We have right now about a quarter of the federal government that is furloughed, right? Okay. We have nine federal departments and approximately 108 government agencies that are impacted. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a lot. Oh, my gosh. But we still have 322 federal agencies that are not impacted. 322 federal agencies that are not impacted. Think about that for a moment. Again, how many of those could anybody name? (laughs) So if you haven't felt the impact of the shutdown, that is why. Uh, With hundreds more that are not impacted than you would ever be able to name, let alone something that would necessarily uh, impact your day-to-day life, the odds are you nor anybody else will really 
be impacted by this, which as we entered the second week, and that is the case, again, becomes the teachable moment. How did we end up with this much government? Is this much government necessary? Would you rather have the money in your pocket that you pay in taxes for all of this government that isn't impacting your everyday life? Or would you rather go back to status quo government as it had been before and have to pay that money? Would you rather $3,800 more in your pocket this year? Or would you rather have the partial government shutdown end and go back to government as usual? Honest question. That's what's real. $3,800 is your personal household hard cost for the employees alone that are subjected to this furlough under the partial government shutdown. I have yet to come across a a single honest arbiter today. I've been posing this question all day that uh, has acknowledged that they wouldn't take $3,800 of their tax money back rather than end this partial government shutdown. These are the questions and the conversations that need to be addressed. And I'm happy that we have the opportunity, frankly, to do it. And we will continue the conversation coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. We want to finish it. We want to complete it because you can't have a partial wall because people come through the area that's not built. But the areas that are built, nobody's getting through. You can't get through unless you're a world-class pole vaulter on the Olympic team. There you go. Yes, border walls uh, do work. Uh, I guess except for uh, Olympic athletes that are attempting to uh, illegally cross the border. And I'm going to talk about that here in uh, just a moment. But uh, first, uh, give you a little information. If you'd like to tweet at me, at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter, Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. And I want to give you a heads up on something that is a a must-purchase. If you have a a child, a a grandchild, uh, the book Our Police by Jack Levin, Mark's dad, the last book that he produced, it is a remarkable book that puts in perspective what's really important about our police. And uh, it is 30% off right now at Amazon.com. So go ahead and purchase that book and, and make sure your kids, grandkids have it uh, and, and have that perspective. And by the way, I mean, the, the illustrations are perfect. It's beautiful. It's well done. Uh, they will absolutely love it. Now, border walls working. I mean, uh, yeah, crazy thing about uh, facts, you know. Sometimes you take a look at them and they, they paint a picture. For example, uh, 100%. I mean, that's that's a pretty solid number, right? What's 100%? Well, I'll get around to that here in just a second. So I uh, talked a little bit uh, last hour and uh, three weeks ago. One of the stories I brought to you was the a story um, that I created called The Truth About Border Walls. And in that story, I walked you through... Some of the information about 77 countries that have border walls, 77, 62 of which have been created since 1990. Now, what does that tell you about the success and the, at a minimum, perceived need to have them around the world? Tells you it's a pretty big deal, right? We've had a lot of countries for a long time, and only 15 of them with border walls prior to 1990, 62 additional since then. Many that are still being constructed right now, like India. And by the way, India has two walls, two of their border walls that are bigger than the Great Wall of China. Maybe not as impressive, maybe not as touristy, but nevertheless bigger. 
uh, in, in, yes, many parts of Europe, including parts of France, border walls. Yeah, no kidding. You're just not presented with this information because, once again, the most pervasive form of bias in news media is actually not the crap they present you with. It is omission. Because if you just never know the real information, the real facts, well, that, that it can be a problem. So, in that context, not only do we have these 77 countries with border walls, but, well, how successful are they? On one hand, you need to look no further than Israel, one of the countries that uh, has more recently created a border wall. How successful has that been since they uh, put it up in the early part of last decade? Oh, my gosh. Super successful. Prime example of, of wall effectiveness. Now, our own Border Patrol. Again, they did something that had never been done before. Not only did they endorse then-candidate Trump's border wall plan, they actually endorsed a presidential candidate, endorsed him because of the border wall. And they've been pleading with additional border wall funding and the construction because why? Well, it works. And I don't think it's a whole lot to ask to provide the resources to the people that we are tasking to keep us safe that have to put their lives on the line, that are compromised, their security and ours compromised because of political leaders, their derelict of duty. They would rather put their lives at risk and our lives at risk and our national security in in a more compromised state because they view it to be the politically expedient thing to do. How messed up is that? But again, the 100%, because I mentioned uh, you know, 100%, pretty round, solid number. What is it? Well, here is a quote from the former ICE director, Tan Homan, to Fox News last week. Quote, every place, every place, a wall or barrier has been built. And remember, we've got 77 countries, right? So uh, back to this quote, every place, a wall or barrier has been built. It's resulted in decreased illegal immigration, decreased drug smuggling 100% of the time. Huh. See, so what you're saying is border walls work. That kind of explains why we have so many countries that have created them, so many of them that are are still working on those. Why our border patrol is desperately asking for uh, more of the border wall, because what we have is working, just like what the the president actually said there. Huh. Once again, two sides to stories, one side to facts, and 100%. Not many things in this world that are pretty much uh, surefire guarantees. But, hmm, that seems to be one of them. And here's the question for those that are are perhaps going to align with leftist politics. If it were you on that border, you're the border patrol. If it's you on that border, if it's your son, if it's your daughter, would you want that border wall? Answer that question. Have that get real moment. And then you get back to me about your stinking politics. About a heck of a lot more than that. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating, and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. 
Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. They have to come to the table. This should be a nonpartisan issue. The border is everybody's business. Border security is national security. And I think she's uh, really playing fast and loose with her politics here. Killian Conway, advisor to the president. By the way, she had a zinger on uh, the whole Romney thing. If uh, we have time next hour, we'll get into uh, some of that nonsense. Uh, but uh, she had a she had a real good one. Uh, I believe it's earlier today on uh, Fox News when uh, she was talking about uh, Romney having binders full of women. <laughs> you have Donald Trump who actually has a cabinet full of them. <laughs> so that was uh, pretty pretty well played there. And yes. This is the the shame of this whole partial government shutdown thing. By the way, Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. We're not talking about, you know, hey, uh, what government program do we want to prioritize? We're talking about national security. All of these people in this incoming Congress today did what? They they swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, to uh, to do what? Well, in the, the Constitution, a mandated responsibility, actually the only mandated responsibility they have uh, being that the federal government is to protect us under providing some infrastructure related to it, but, but that's it. Everything else is a choice, but that isn't. And something that is a, a foundation at this point of that defense, of, of the protection, that our border patrol that they say they need, that, that we have experts that say work 100% of the time, that isn't something they're willing to do, even though, and, and it's still, it's one of the, the more uh, annoying things you might see if you expose yourself to mainstream media for any length of time. They, they are impressed. You, you don't have Chuck Schumer. Pre- now, why is it, Chuck Schumer, that you voted for border wall funding in 2006 and you are so opposed to it today? Where are those questions? I mean, that should be relatively obvious. Since Barack Obama is back on the scene on occasion, why doesn't anybody ask him why he voted for it in in 2006? And then, in the midst of the early days of his presidency and the financial crisis, ended up making it stop. Hmm. Did old Hillary Clinton. I I mean, but but they aren't asked, right? And I say again, if just the people who voted for it or the the same composition uh, politically voted for the border wall funding that did in 2006 when I having this conversation because you had a solid percentage of Democrats that voted for it, including Schumer, including Clinton, including Obama. All right. Uh, so a couple things here as we are trying to survive the, the partial government shutdown as we're closing in on two weeks surviving the, the squeeze here. Let's go to David in Fargo, North Dakota. And, and David, I will uh, I will not tell you what the the temperature is right now in West Palm Beach. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a little nicer than here, although it has warmed up. But um, I just wanted to make a comment about uh, how everybody seems up in arms now that uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer won't go along with funding for a border wall. 
when we previously had the House, the Senate, and the White House for the last two years, and nothing was done. Um, It's a completely valid point. Yeah, David, let me ask you, do you believe that Mitch McConnell should have broken the legislative filibuster? Well, no. So therein lies the the rub. That's the problem, right? Because what you're saying is correct. What you're saying is correct. Republicans did control both bodies of Congress, obviously have the presidency, but what they didn't have... 60 votes in the Senate at any point. You never had Democrats that peeled off that were willing to break the filibuster. And this was a legitimate point. The president, for Lord knows how many times over the course of nearly two years, called on Mitch McConnell to break the legislative filibuster. It was a huge issue during health care reform, as you'll recall. And uh, it absolutely uh, was that way, we, even going back a year ago with that uh, very brief partial government shutdown we had, uh, let alone um, you know some of what's been going on recently. But Mitch McConnell did not do it, and uh, you know here we are. So it, it, that you can't have it both ways, and that's kind of the problem here, is that uh, the only way the Republicans would have been able to get this through is if they had broken the legislative filibuster and the president wanted it done. I know many people would have been supportive of it. I personally would have been supportive of it if they had been willing to be aggressive in passing the agenda. Because, you know, the Senate rules adding the filibuster, that's all part of, of something that was added later on in the Senate to, to begin with. It isn't something that was, you know, the, the foundation of the, the Senate in the first place. Um, all right, let's go to Rob in New Jersey. Rob, go. Thank you for uh, taking my call, Ryan. Um, you know, um, the wall is uh, tantamount to border security or, you know, a roundabout way of saying the wall. Most of this country understood that, and President Trump has made a pledge, a commitment uh, to, to uh, with regard to uh, the immigration issue. And this would be, uh, in my opinion, uh, the Waterloo for Trump, the defining moment for Trump, how he would come out of this would, you know, uh, determine how the election in the, the next election in, in the year 2020 would turn out for him. Okay. With that being said, you know, I, if you are an illegal in this country, the, the riot act should be read on them, okay? Because we have existing law, it, it needs to be enforced, okay? And my, my riot act for every illegal that is uh, living in this country right now is this. If you are an illegal in this country, you have no right. Your right to stay in this country ends where my security and safety begins. Remember that police officer in California, Brian? Oh, yeah. Remember Kate Steinle? Remember, and there are so many, you know, horrible acts that this illegal, um, you know, has uh, wrote a fan in this country. Very true, very true. And, uh, you know, it's a valid point, Rob. And you articulate and hit on something that uh, I was addressing, um, you know, a few weeks ago. And that is, I actually believe that... Legal immigrants are the key, are the key to winning this latest battle on socialism that is now going to be fought with the uh, incoming Congress and the left wing uh, that is now left of Nancy Pelosi. When was it that you uh, ever thought that we would be looking right? We would be looking right 
in the Democratic Party to find Nancy Pelosi. I mean, that's how far things are going, right? So as we're going to have the, the latest incarnation of whatever the socialist argument is going to be with the, the new Green Deal and, and the like, there are a, a couple really in, instructive and important points that are uh, related to immigrants. The average American does not have perspective the way that the average legal immigrant does. And for that matter, anybody's taken the citizenship test, almost certainly. I would take them any day over the average American. I don't care how well-educated they are. They could be, you know, top of their class at insert Ivy League school here, and I will take the person who is a legal immigrant uh, in a civics course, uh, a civics test over that uh, that natural-born American uh, be, because we don't teach it anymore. And people don't have that perspective. Uh, and it's funny because a lot of people uh, ended up saying, oh, yeah, no, you're, you're all wait, you're, you're ridiculous. I actually advanced the point, and, and I have perspective on this because I am in South Florida, where we have more Hispanics that are as a percentage of the overall voting population than we've ever had in our state. More Hispanics as a percentage of the voting population than we've ever had in Florida. And for the first time since 1868, we have a Republican governor and two Republican U.S. senators. Now, you ask me how that is possible if simply being Hispanic equals being a a Democrat, which is the conventional wisdom. A lot of people automatically assume that. And during the election cycle, I, I spent a fair amount of time talking about the difference between Hispanics. I'll often say that Hispanic means 30 different things here in South Florida and in many parts of the country. And the interests are, are vastly different. And the ones in particular that I think that are, are the future of the country, but also the future of conservative and, and Republican, even if the Republican Party uh, gets it right, politics, are those that come from socialist countries. Those that it's why Cubans have traditionally been conservative. But it's also the story of Venezuelans. It's also the story of the Dominicans and many that have fled and their families have fled to the United States for opportunity. Just yesterday, it was ironic because I was I was thinking of of the conversation that we were having on that particular topic uh, last month. My uh, my wife was telling me our AC went out. I I know we're we're having this. this conversation about uh, the AC in winter, but it, it is South Florida. And it was 80 yesterday, and uh, we were on vacation, got back, and it turns out that uh, AC was not working uh, upstairs. And so we have the uh, the AC company come out, and my wife was telling me about this uh, conversation. One of the uh, the folks who came out, Venezuelan, and he was talking about his, his parents and uh, you know what it was like and, and how they had to flee Venezuela. And, and he started talking to her about socialism and, and how wrong it is. And my wife was happy to engage him and, and t- having this conversation. And, and he was going off on socialism about just how horrific it is, something that isn't taught. For example, you, you have outright communism that takes place in Cuba. The average, or it's not the average, it is the allowable state income per month in Cuba is $30. You are not allowed to earn more than $30 in Cuba. But do people know that? No. Welcome, welcome to communism and, and socialism. So, you know, my wife was telling him that, and he said, oh, it's, it's a lot worse than Venezuela right now. He said it's 
$7 is what people are earning in Venezuela right now with the collapse of, of that uh, economy under socialism. An, an economy that just a, a couple decades ago per capita w- was actually wealthier than, than even the United States. And you think about that. So that kind of perspective is why, for example, we have the political composition we have in the ultimate swing state in, in Florida. And it's also some of the perspective that I think is desperately needed and is ultimately going to end up saving this country from making the next horrible mistake by going, hey, you know what? We just haven't done socialism right yet. Let's go to Dave in Perry, Florida. Dave, go. Hey, good evening, Mr. Mudd. I'd like to talk about the economics of the border wall versus illegal immigration. You got it. From all of the statistics that I've seen in all of the news stories, a complete border wall would cost $25 billion. But we're spending $130 billion a year on illegal immigrants. So I think President Trump should cease his demand for $5 billion and demand $25 billion because if we put up a border wall at that cost, we'd recoup it every 10 weeks. You could not be more correct. And there are so many other ways that you can go with that particular topic, including information that we had from the census. Trump's wall would save money simply on government assistance alone, let alone some of the other things that you're talking about. And I'll bring you how the border wall would actually save us money and some of the information uh, about how we could balance the budget by keeping the shutdown. That's next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd Lovin. Smith's niece, I just wanted to point out that this is what Democrats want. They want to see infighting with our party. And I see uh, voters across the country. I talk to people in our party and they say to me all the time, we want Republicans to stick together. We want them to support this president. He's doing great things for this country. Ah, yes. Ronna McDaniel, also known as Mitt Romney's niece, also happens to be the chair of the Republican National Committee. Coming out in defense of the president, not Mitt in this particular case. And uh, just uh, reading the, the landscape here, what, what do we think? The the average person is waiting on, on Mitt Romney or on, on Donald Trump at this point. Which which agenda is, is most supported? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't think that most people were, were waiting on, on Mitt Romney and go, man, thank you for that op-ed because up until now, up until now, I, I really – uh, I didn't know what to think about President Trump, but now that you have weighed in, Mitt Romney, uh, thank you very, very much. We are better off as a country as uh, Mitt Romney has decided. How much of this, and I would like to think he's not being quite this petty. We might talk about this a little bit more coming up next hour, but how much of this really is that he got shafted for Secretary of State? Case of the red butt going on there a little bit, perhaps, because, of course, he was cozying up to Trump when he wanted to be Secretary of State. Be, you know, of course, he was nasty about Trump during the campaign, but it got cozy again. Then Trump endorsed Romney in Utah. Now Romney, before he even was sworn in, ended up, uh, you know, doing his op-ed. I mean, just eh, a little food for thought here. Okay, uh, so, caller just before the break. 
talking a little bit about the economics of the border wall and uh, talking about how we could actually save money with a border wall. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely the case. Not only is is it the case in, in, in terms of just uh, the, the cost of dealing with the, the issues associated with processing people that are apprehended at the southern border, if we simply had the wall and, and we could reduce the overall influx of people that have to be processed, that alone you can find cost savings. But there's even more because in the census, the Center for Immigration Studies about a month ago, they dropped a bombshell that painted a picture of what most commonly happens when illegal immigrants populate in the United States. This was the one that showed that we end up having uh, a majority of illegal immigrants and non-citizens that obtain improperly government benefits. They found that 63% of households headed by a non-citizen used at least one welfare program. That's kind of huge, right? So if we crack down on the problem, you think about the $25 billion all in, the just over $5 billion that the president is asking for to complete the next phase of the project right now. How long does it take to, to save that money? Well, it's pretty easy because if you begin to work through this, uh, one of the things that was uh, found is that these are all the various different uh, assistance programs that people uh, that are here illegally will end up on commonly. Financial welfare, housing, Medicaid, SNAP. WIC, school lunch programs. So you're talking about everything from federal to state, in some cases, even local resources. So when you boil it all down and you take a look at the number of people that fit into this category based, again, on the census data, you know what the annual cost of that abuse was? $26.8 billion. $26.8 billion. So it's just simply reducing the amount of illegal immigrants that end up improperly on government assistance programs would likely pay for the border wall, let alone all of the other factors. I mean, details, right? Details. But there's even more to this entire story because, well, not only does the border wall work, we could have it, we could save money, we could maybe even balance the budget during the course of this partial government shutdown. I'll explain. We'll talk about that coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I think it's important as I step into the Senate and this, uh, this new responsibility to lay out my priorities and my perspectives, uh, which I was able to do. I look forward to working with the Republicans and with Democrats, working with the President and members of the House and the Senate. Uh, we'll have some differences, and I expect that each senator and each representative will express their own views as they think best. But I'm, I'm not worried about what other people think about what I have to say. I just want to hear what they have to say about their priorities. <laughs> there you go. Yes. All right. We got ourselves some milk toast Mitt Romney going on there. Mm, man, don't you just want to line up and rally behind that guy? Now, it is ironic because the, the op-ed where he, he decided that uh, it was incumbent upon him to, to be the gentleman in the room and to call out the, the president for his character. 
or his his perception of, of the lack thereof and the the major flaw associated with it. Now, he he said he thought it was important to lay that out. Really, incoming junior senator of Utah, it's important that you lay out your vision that you feel the the president lacks character. What if um, all Incoming senators did the same thing. Should we have op-eds from all of them on uh, on what they think the, the character flaws of a uh, desired politician are? That That's really what we need? I, I'm sure that is what most people are clamoring for with this new Congress. I, I'm sure the top priority for everybody is to hear from you on, on your views of Donald Trump's character. And the thing that stinks about it is I actually... On a personal note, there's a lot to like about Mitt Romney. I have a lot of respect for his background, the way that he seemingly lives his life, the way he ran his business. Enormous amount of respect for him in business. There's a lot of good there. But my God, man, wow, do you really seem to suck at, at having a spine when you get into the political arena? It really is unfortunate. All right. Uh, hey, it is uh, Brian Mutt. And for the great one, Mark Levin, I uh, do a morning show, The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, The Brian Mudd Show, uh, WIOD in Miami. And it is always, always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you, uh, guest hosting for The Great One. Now, throughout the course of the show tonight, I've been talking about the partial government shutdown. I've been illustrating some points, provocative at times, because I like to establish facts in the premise to present information uh, that you haven't been presented with before so that we can uh, not only help educate ourselves about what really goes on, but also that you can take and use the information uh, with others, with others. And and part of the conversation, it's a big part of the conversation, is what this actually means to you and me. The problem with our our, our government when it comes to spending is that it all is numbers, right? It's just numbers. But it's not numbers when it's Coming out of your paycheck, right? I mean, that's real. If you actually took a look at how much you pay in taxes, and, and you imagine, wow, there's a lot of that money that I could keep. I could keep with a, a similar outcome to what we have right now. That's very real to you on the individual basis, right? And, and what that ha- number happens to be is $3,800. That is the cost alone that your household pays on average for federal government employees that are currently furloughed, $3,800. Now, the the question that I've laid out during the course of the day has been whether or not you would personally choose to have an extra $3,800 coming into your home this year or into the partial government shutdown. Or let me reverse this for a moment. Let's say... That your choice was to write a check for the to the federal government for $3,800 to end the partial government shutdown or not to do that, and you retain that money, what would your choice be? And if that alters your thinking about this partial government shutdown, that's kind of the point provocatively with information. Now, as I've also stated, I have no animus whatsoever towards any of the furloughed government employees. I don't blame any of them for, for doing jobs. I, I, you know, they, it's the, the problem with our political government, the politicians that created it. So, yes, I, I need to look no further than some of the folks who have tweeted at me, which, by the way, you may do so, at Brian Mudd Radio. 
in some of the emails uh, that uh, have upset many rank-and-file federal government employees. But that's okay. I'm trying to give you information to have a provocative conversation because nobody else can present you with this information, what it really means to you. See, see the biggest bullcrap in the world when you hear about $21.5 trillion of debt, which is what we currently have, is that it doesn't mean anything to us. Well, yeah, it does. We have to pay taxes to the extent that we pay them to help fund the ongoing debt. Did you know that of our deficit last year, half of the deficit was simply paying interest on that debt? Yeah. And what about when we're going to have cuts in in Medicare and Social Security benefits? Because, well, we can't afford to continue to pay them with all this debt, with with all of our obligations and responsibilities. But what then? Will you care then? And part of what people don't understand with some of these economic-related arguments with the federal government is some people have already experienced cuts in certain ways, even in those programs, without necessarily realizing it. Remember how we didn't have cost-of-living adjustments for years in Social Security? Did the cost of living actually increase? Yeah, it did, right? Things didn't get cheaper. Things We still had some inflation, right? So why was it that we didn't have adjustments in programs like Social Security? Well, in, in part because we got issues. We got issues. They're trying not to keep up with some of the obligations to the extent they can because we already are feeling pressure associated with a lot of these programs. So there are real impacts in everyday life. Part of the reason that interest rates, what you have to pay when you borrow money, are, some of that is impacted by what we have going on with our federal debt. It's all interrelated, but you'll never necessarily see, touch, or feel it. And the biggest issue we run into is withholding, federal withholding. If we actually had all of our money, everything we earn, because remember, the federal government, no government, has a dollar, has a dollar of revenue until we give it to them. It's our money. They work for us, everybody. So if we had to write a check to every single government entity, that we're taxed by, think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Would you view things differently? And if the answer is yes, well, what would you view differently? And that's why this partial government shutdown can be instructive. And I'm going to lay out another provocative idea here. If we kept the shutdown, you know we'd balance the budget? Actually, we'd do better than that. So... The partial government shutdown, we had last year over $4 trillion, just over $4 trillion in spending. We ran a deficit about $780 billion, all right? So that's about 19% more spending than revenue. Now, right now, right now, we have that federal debt that's at $21.5 trillion and rising, right? Mentioned that half of the deficit last year, about $360 billion bucks, simply paying interest on that debt. Okay? Here's the thing. 19% more spending than revenue. Well, what's going on right? we got approximately a quarter of our federal government that is, that is furloughed, right? So what does that tell you? Well, it, it tells you that, oh, if we had... About a trillion dollars that wasn't spent this year, what would that do? We'd actually have an estimated budget surplus of greater than 200 billion annually. 
And again, you can think about this, and it's not the ideal way of doing it. We should have politicians that can govern responsibly. I'm not saying that just being in this current position that we're in is ideal. It's not. We do have some people that are having to work right now and are being promised that they'll be paid, but they're not being paid. And when you have to go to work and uh, you're doing a job and you have a promise that you're going to be paid, but you're not being paid and you have bills coming in, that's a real thing. There are a, a lot of situations going on right now that are less than ideal. So I'm not saying this is the best path forward, but again, conceptually, given that by and large, the average American not impacted by what's going on right here with our bloated federal government. If we simply kept a quarter of the federal government spending at bay, we would run budget surpluses, budget surpluses with the average American not feeling any effects from it. Think about that for a moment. Now, some people say, yeah, but the economy will be hurt. That's true. There, there are economic cases that can be made that the economy w- would not perform as well if we ended up doing uh, something like this. However, even if we had the economy go from growth of over 3% to, let's say, no growth. Let's just say it was flat. Well, the numbers still work. <laughs> you would still, even at no growth, end up with a budget surplus this year. So, you know, these are the types of teachable moments that exist. What lies in front of us? The politicians, this new Congress that's coming in. What we should be holding them accountable to. Because, again, they work for us. All of these people, they work for us. And if you had to write every payday, every payday, a, a check to the federal government for the money that they withhold from you right now, how would you feel? How much of a difference would having some of that money back mean to you and and your family and your everyday life? Would some of that be a greater priority than what you believe the the value is that many of these employees bring to you and 430 government agencies that nobody can freaking name? Nobody can get close to 430 government agencies, right? So don't tell me that we can't find a way to do this. It's a a teachable moment, and it's one that I'm happy uh, to be able to share with you. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. Well, I think it's a good idea to to lay out how you're intending to work in Washington uh, as you begin. Uh, Some people said, well, you should have waited a couple of months or four months. I'm not sure what makes special uh, at one time versus another other than to do your, your very best from the beginning to describe uh, what's important to you, and then go to work. <laughs> ah, Mitt. So happy to have you. Ah, oh, boy. Um, all right, so right about in for Mark Levin. Uh, you remember, as Romney talked about, the lack of character of, of Donald Trump and, uh, you know, how how – uh, you know, sad that is that uh, we have a president that has not risen to the level of the office or however he put it. <laughs> There's a question that came up at the uh, the odd uh, abbreviated presser, if you will, uh, later this afternoon with the president. And one of the questions that came into him was about uh, his ratings overseas. And, uh, you know. He, he was asked the, the question about, uh, well, you know, you, you're not, well, you, your approval ratings overseas are, are not good. And uh, he, he said, well, they shouldn't be. 
You know, he, he was elected by the American people, and he's representing American interest. And uh, we have had a lot of administrations that have not held the rest of the world uh, accountable to pay for the benefits that we, the United States, have provided to them. And he's doing that. Therefore, he wouldn't expect that he would be popular. So, I mean, it was kind of perfect because you, you can just envision uh, first Mitt uh, came out. And, and now we, the, the mainstream media, are going to have a crack at you. And, you know, French doesn't, uh, France doesn't like you or something, uh, which is great, by the way. Because uh, remember when Macron was over here most recently, the French French, Emmanuel Macron? And uh, we were hearing, oh, you know, uh, Macron doesn't like Trump anymore, and the people in France don't like Trump. You know what was hilarious about that in, in terms of the mainstream media uh, omitting information from you? I actually looked into it just for my own curiosity, and at least at that particular moment in time, yes, Donald Trump's approval ratings over in France were low. They were like in the high 20s, but they're actually higher than Emmanuel Macron. So here we had our mainstream news media lecturing us about how unpopular Donald Trump was in France and how he wasn't getting along with Macron when the French president, Macron himself, was less approved of than Donald Trump in his own country. I mean, it's the kind of stuff you, you just can't make up. But, you know, remember, you know, because Donald Trump is president, the whole world hates us, right? whole world hates us. Nobody wants to be here. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait, uh... Gallup found that uh, more people want to be here than than anywhere else that want to relocate from one country to another. Uh huh. Hey, and not just a, a few more people would, that that would like to come to the United States than than any other country. Uh, Gallup actually found this. They found that 158 million people would prefer to permanently relocate to the United States. Canada was second at 47 million. So, yeah, I mean, the whole world, they really hate us, man. Nobody wants to come here except a, a number of people that equals about half of the existing U.S. population. And by the way, 21% of all people who would like to relocate from their existing country to another, anywhere in the world, 21%, think about all the countries, want to come here. Canada was second at 6%. So we have more than three times the, the number of people that would prefer to come to the United States over any other choice in the world. Huh. Huh. I, I wonder how that is. More, more. But again, I mean, it's, it's Gallup. I mean, more real right-wing kind of propaganda stuff, right? And uh, by the way, according to a recent study from the Pew Research Center, another real right-wing group, only 24% of Americans actually believe that we should be taking in more immigrants than we already are in the United States. Well, 29% actually think that we should be taking in fewer. So even that paints a, a very different view of what goes on as we're talking about immigration-related matters, including border security. Uh, you know, the most pervasive form of bias remains an omission, uh, but it's hilarious how even... Beloved mainstream news media go-tos like Gallup and the Pew Research Center, their information is buried the moment that it doesn't back up their case. But, man, got Mitt Romney now. Thank God for that. Got some real opportunity to be able to take on the president. By the way, one of his other singers at the end of that uh, exchange, <laughs> and he said if, if he ran for office overseas, he'd win there, too. <laughs> Good stuff. You can't make it up. Uh, the, the Donald will be the Donald. 
And uh, the whole press conference is kind of a little odd deal. Uh, but anyway, uh, Brian Mudd in for the uh, great one, Mark Levin. And uh, we're going to come back, get some of your thoughts here as well. And, uh, you know, talk a little economics. Uh, would you rather keep your money or do you rather end the partial government shutdown? We'll have that conversation next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. This is the nation's town hall meeting, and you can join in at 877-381-3811. Let's remind Americans about the good things that have come out of the Trump administration, judicially taking on ISIS, funding our military. Wages are up 3%, 4 million new jobs. We have a media that 90% of the coverage is negative against this president. And in less than two years, no less. Kind of remarkable when you think about it. Kind of remarkable. And imagine if he had more cooperation among, oh, I don't know, folks in his own party. <laughs> like perhaps uh, the new junior senator from Utah, Mitt Romney, that uh, Ronald McDaniel somewhat uncomfortably uh, is is addressing uh, with, with those remarks, defending the president as she is the RNC chair as well uh, against her uncle, uh, good old Mitt, at least for her. And I suppose for men, the rest of the family, the holidays are are over because that would be you know potentially a little bit awkward. But uh, hey, so at least uh, at least I don't have to deal with that for a while. Now, a couple of things as we've been teeing up what really is going on with this partial government shutdown, what it means to you in terms of real cost impact, which just the employee expense alone associated with the furloughed employees equals thirty eight hundred dollars to you this year. Your household, $3,800 as the real hard costs associated with this. As I begin to paint a real picture of what this means to you and your family, and as we weigh the necessity of, of much of the federal government. And taking a look at a lot of the feedback I have received, uh, be it in my email, Twitter, uh, what have you, on social media, uh, it, it seemingly goes into two categories. I have people that uh, essentially are telling me to eat excrement and, and dine that uh, appear to be federal government employees. Or uh, I have folks that are saying, uh, you know, this is the one to fight for. This this is the one that uh, Donald Trump should stay with until he comes out on top. And uh, that takes us to Al in Virginia. Al, go. Brian, Brian you're doing a great job, man. Hey, here's Appreciate the question it. I have. Oh, yeah, what is the downside to Trump? Just staying course and not buckling. And, and I got two points on that. Everybody voted for him, or, or the majority of the people that voted for him, this was a key issue. So he doesn't lose anything with them. And the fact is, like you said before, this is what government is supposed to do, really. This 86% that's kind of ongoing is even a little bloated. So he would be trimming down government and, and just concentrate on defending the Constitution, defending the citizens' rights. And forget all this other stuff. I think it's a win-win situation. In fact, I think he should ask for the whole $25 billion or keep or start increasing now from $5 billion and say, if you don't get it done by next week, it's $6 billion. If you don't get <laughs> it done by it. next week, it's $7 billion. I don't know what I he has to lose. I'm, am I missing something? I, uh, I love your strategy and your plan there. Uh, maybe that is uh, something that he could go uh, go ahead and enact, the art of the deal kind of maneuver there. Uh, yeah, you know, Al, there, there are a couple of things. Um, 
I am a pragmatist. At times, I almost wish I weren't because uh, there are two things I have to say about the, the point of staying with the partial government shutdown as it sits forever. One of them is uh, conceptually, it, you, you have the political reality of it. Now, the political reality, and I'm going to cover this tomorrow. I'm waiting on some more information. A lot of times we will see it roll in coming out of these uh, holiday stretches uh, on a Friday morning going into a weekend. But it looks like it's shaping up somewhat favorably for President Trump at this point. In other words, the effort by Nancy Pelosi, by Chuck Schumer to brand this as the Trump shutdown and the effort by the mainstream news media to make you feel this. We're going to make you care one way or another about this, even if nothing whatsoever has changed in your day-to-day life. It doesn't necessarily appear as though it's working. So I don't want to jump in with both feet on that yet. I don't quite have enough data that I'm comfortable with to say that empirically, but it's trending that way. So in the political context, if the president uh, is essentially winning this argument by virtue of the American people staying with him, his uh, base that already approves of him, staying with him, well, there, there isn't a political downside and he absolutely can ride this out uh, for as long as he feels he needs to, to to obtain, in, in this case, the wall funding. What if he – I don't know if all these little benefits that Congress people get, you know, the little bennies of the gym and all those kind of things that they love to do. Is there anything he can do to just, like, like make it visual yeah. and say, you know what, we really need to shut those things down. If we're going to lay people off, Congress, you all should definitely not be – having these free lunches and going to the gym and the spa and just shut them down. Well, okay, and so you bring up uh, another interesting uh, case here, which is the difference between members of Congress, their pay, their benefits, the fact that they're not impacted by this partial government shutdown versus the the employees, the federal employees that are being furloughed right now and, and their benefits. Again, my goal here is not to impugn any of these federal employees. I, I mean, if you had a good opportunity at a federal job and that was the best thing for you to do for your family, I don't blame you for doing it. I mean, you know, more power to you if you ended up in a good situation. Uh, it, it, even if I feel it's not necessary, it, it's not their fault. It ultimately is the fault of the crappy politicians that created the the bloated government that allowed for those opportunities that we as taxpayers in many cases may feel are a bit too cushy. Now, the pragmatic part of this, and, and this is uh, what I what I hate to say, uh, but it, but it's true. There is a human toll associated with what's going on right now. It's not the majority of the furloughed government workers, but it is true that there are certain operations, even in law enforcement, especially within uh, federal agencies, that are not working as they typically would and and there somewhere along the way could be a, a negative impact but uh, more to the point there are some issues with people that are essential employees remember those that are deemed essential that are often involved in security that are, often are involved in even like you know border security you do have some folks that are not being paid right now they're they're having to work because they are deemed essential but they are not being paid. Now, they are being promised to be paid at whatever point, uh, you know, stalemate ends. But that the, the pragmatic aspect of this is, you know, that part can't go on forever. So could we just carry out in perpetuity this shutdown without consequence to the country? Uh, probably not, because somewhere along the way, you know, if you're somebody that is working in security and you have to pay the bills and you can't pay the bills because it's still going on, we got a problem. 
And the pragmatic part of me and the human side of me does not want somebody who putting their lives on the their life on the line uh, for us uh, and then going, how the heck am I going to make the mortgage payment this month? So that is the the difficult aspect of this. It's why it's not perfect. But again, this is a teachable moment. And my entire purpose behind using this opportunity in front of us has been to illustrate what it means in real dollars to you and me, what the real impact in our lives uh, happens to be, and how we might prioritize things differently if we looked at it through that particular prism of the $3,800, of just a, a quarter of the federal employees, you know, we, we didn't have to pay for. We would, you know, our hard cost be $3,800 back to us per year. I mean, that's a real thing. And, they, and I know that the vast majority of people are going to opt for the $3,800 rather than having a, a quarter of uh, the, the federal employees do whatever it happens to be um, that they do. Uh, let's go to someone as a contrarian point of view here, Todd in Illinois. Todd, go. Uh, yes, I uh, was calling to find out. Well, calling to talk to you about the border wall. Um, my opinion is that it, it really is a waste of money. Um, I could understand putting some money towards fixing up the existing wall that we have or, or fencing. Um, but as far as uh, there, there's two reasons for the wall, it would be people and drugs. Um, as far as the drug problem, most of the drugs come through port of entry. The only drugs that really come across, you know, the, you want to call them meals or whatever, um, is marijuana, and that is even declining because of the legalization in the United States that's going on. Um, there is a, a yeah, but factor. I mean, you're, you're making a statement that can't necessarily be quantified. You're right. The ports of entry are an enormous problem. There's no doubt about that. But the, the, what can't be quantified is we don't know what we don't know. And so to, to make a statement of, of perceived fact that the majority of X comes through ports of entry relative to the, to the southern border. Well, if we don't have a grasp on, on exactly what's taking place, then how necessarily can we answer that? And the answer is ultimately we can't. Now, uh, the, the drug portion, in my mind, is actually almost secondary to the bigger issue, and that is overall security. If you, again, I defer to the experts in, in this particular case, and I also, above and beyond even the, the financial aspect of it, I, I firmly believe we would not send, I, I cannot even imagine that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer would believe that we should send our military into war and not give them equipment to fight that war. Just put them on the battlefield to uh, to be out there to to be uh, you know basically defenseless. That that even they I don't believe would do that. Yet that's to a certain extent what we're asking for border patrol. So the first thing is we have these people that are tasked with doing this responsibility that is extraordinarily dangerous, and they have asked for the wall because it helps them do their job better. Also helps keep them safer while they are doing their job better. So I think it, it is incumbent upon us when we task people with doing those jobs to take their concerns seriously. Again, above and beyond the, the financial aspect of it. Uh, then when you get into the second care, secondary consideration of the money, something that I addressed earlier in the show, there are a couple different ways that you can look at this. First, just the cost of processing, of processing illegal immigrants and dealing with them over the course of time ultimately has been proven to cost more than it would be to go ahead and cost and then or pay for and, and then maintain the wall. Uh, that's one. Two, if you took a look at the government assistance, a majority of non-citizens that end up in the United States, including illegal immigrants, end up 
on government assistance programs that take resources from the federal government, from the state government, and from local governments. If you take a look at the cost of that, there is no doubt whatsoever, no doubt whatsoever, that over the long run, you are going to save money if you can end up stemming the tide of much of it that does come over the the southern border. Uh, So there is an economic case that can be made, and it can be made with with empirical information provided by uh, sources like Census data, for example, uh, not just, uh, you know, some of the concepts. Uh, okay, let's go to Alan in West Virginia. Alan, go. Or Washington, rather. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has to release these uh, illegals at the border if they come across and claim asylum, right? Uh, well, based upon the current ruling about the court, uh, theoretically, yes. Okay, why don't he send them all up to Pelosi's? area, send them to the (laughs) Beverly Hills, send them all up to uh, Schumer's great state of New York, and maybe those (laughs) idiots wouldn't like an open border so much. Well, uh, yeah, you, you, you make a case, right? The irony is with, uh, you know, a lot of the asylum seekers, the uh, fraudulent Honduran caravan crowd, uh, and, and I say fraudulent because, again, uh, the organization that raised the money but th- that put this whole thing together, Pueblo San Fronteras, they happen to be a front organization, open borders organization, which is what the name actually stands for. Ironically enough, as you're talking about Pelosi and company, well, they happen to spend a lot of time. In San Francisco and in Northern California and then Central California and then in Southern California, because for months earlier last year, they had fundraisers uh, all throughout California uh, to raise the money to go down to Honduras to organize uh, this caravan uh, so they could try to exact this political outcome. Uh, so, yes, there, there's irony even within what you're saying. And I have a feeling that, uh, yeah, if you had at uh, Nancy Pelosi's personal Border wall at, at her home. Uh, a lot of these folks there, maybe, maybe she would feel a little bit differently about that. Uh, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. I was a little bit busy running around uh, the country trying to make the case. Okay, so that's good to know there. Uh, So we have this now. Um, uh, It's official from the burn. It's cool if uh, sexual harassment happens and you don't uh, address it as long as you're busy. Yeah, completely cool. That was uh, the burn to CNN's Anderson Cooper last night, uh, dealing with the the, uh, charges that he not only had alleged sexual harassment within his ranks during his presidential run, but he never did anything about it. So he, he, he said, he's busy. He was, he was out there making the case. So there you go. As long as you remain busy enough, you may have sexual harassment that takes place with your employees. Completely cool. And, and uh, it's not hypocrisy at all that the, uh, the Me Too movement hasn't uh, come out to, to call on him to resign. No, no hypocrisy there whatsoever. Uh-uh, nothing to see here. Fascinating uh, how that one works. <laughs> Talking a little bit earlier about uh, socialism and how I actually believe in, in many cases we're going to see legal legal immigrants that are going to be the 
deciders in, in educating this country because you know, when you talk about civics and when you talk about perspective about socialism and about communism, well, there is far more of that perspective from many legal immigrants from countries like Venezuela, Dominican Republic, and, yes, Cuba. And I mentioned how these days uh, you, you are able to earn a whopping 30 Dollars per month in, in Cuba. We have Elliot in Los Angeles, and his wife knows a thing or two about Cuba. Elliot, uh, welcome to the show. Elliot, you're up. All right, and we lost Elliot. Uh, so he was going to say that his uh, wife, uh, who happens to be Cuban, only made twenty dollars a month. And so, yeah, I mean, whoo, it hit the big time now in in good old. You know, communist Cuba. The, now you are allowed to earn thirty dollars, and part of of what has happened in Cuba, and th- this is something that also, by and large, is is not explained. There's actually a really, really good show that was done. If you happen to watch The Prophet, which is Marcus Lemonis, he's the founder CEO of Camping World, has this show where he's gone around for a few years and he uh, ends up funding businesses that uh, small businesses that are struggling, that type of deal, and often will expand many of them. He did a really good show. I want to say it's about two years ago now uh, called The Prophet in Cuba. And as you had the, the travel uh, arrangements made with the Obama administration, the Cuban government, he uh, was showing some of what was taking place. And what we had happening in Cuba for a while, the communist government was collapsing under its own weight. Obviously, Cubans have been trying to get out of there for uh, decades, and the population was continuing to decline. The economy was suffering. And uh, so you actually had these little spurts of entrepreneurship that were breaking out in Cuba because the government really couldn't account for everything that was taking place. And they saw the need in some of these instances to allow entrepreneurship. The, the, um, during the show, you'll have some folks who say, yeah, we, we actually get earned $100 or $150 a month, not the $30 per month. It was special government exception. Here's part of the problem. And uh, some of it took place during the course of that show. Once American dollars flowed into Cuba and the Cuban government was back on its feet, what do you think it did? Took away those businesses. But yeah, you get that sweet $30 a month in Cuba. You want that? Can happen anywhere. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. We'll do it again tomorrow night. Mark is back on Monday.